Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Joy Huber is a stage four cancer survivor, speaker, author, blogger, and Dose of Joy podcast host. Joy endured three years of chemotherapy, suffering complete hair loss in her 30s. During her cancer journey, Joy realized while no one's happy they have cancer, you can have cancer and still be happy. Ah, oh, what a wonderful way to start this interview. Joy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you for having me on today. It is so nice to meet you, and I look forward to sharing with all of your listeners. It's such a pleasure to meet you, too. Wow. Three years of chemotherapy. That's a lot. Stage four, so metastatic for those who don't know. So take us back to the beginning. When did this all start? Did you have symptoms? Take us back. I would say it started probably in the winter of 2009. So we are at over a dozen years ago, thankfully. And that's one thing to me that gives others so much hope is I not only had cancer, but I had stage four cancer. And here I am 12 years later, thriving, not just surviving. But uh, my diagnosis was in March of 2010, March 24th. I just marked that cancerversary by taking a trip. (laughs) Uh, But I'd say back back to that winter, uh, I was noticing night sweats where I would wake up in the middle of the night and sleep in a t-shirt or or something like that. And and, uh, the t-shirt would just be damp. And I thought, what is and how old on? were you for a reference point for people? Only 33. Oh, I always yeah. say years young instead yes. of years old. So definitely in that young adult category. And I thought, what is going on? And I'll tell you, I live in the Lincoln, Nebraska area. It's cold in the winter. <laughs> I had an electric heated blanket on. Oh, God. <laughs> and I thought, I really thought I have my electric blanket cranked up too high And that's where I'm starting to sweat a little bit in the night. Didn't really think a thing of it. And my mom noticed a bulge in my neck that just wasn't symmetrical. So I thought, hey, maybe I'm gaining a little winter weight here. Uh, Maybe the face is just getting a little bit fuller. But it wasn't on both sides. And so she had noticed this bulge and of course we felt it. She asked, does this hurt? Is there any pain? Nope. Nope. So I went to a general physician uh, who felt all over my neck and the word I remember him continuing to say was, hmm, because I was only 33 and he told me, he said, this type of cancer typically hits someone maybe 60s, 70s. Um, in Wait, he actually older... said this type of cancer? 
Well, I, I guess uh, as he was talking to me about lymphoma, because I he sent me for a CT scan. He did. Okay. So yeah, so he was feeling around my neck, and he kept saying, "Hmm, hmm." And then later he told me um, this type of cancer typically strikes people much older, typically impacts those in their 60s and 70s. So he's like, I just couldn't mesh that with you only being 33. So he felt around my neck. Of course, I asked how long uh, I had noticed kind of these lumps or bulges. And I thought, well, it's just my mom. I haven't really noticed. And, and that's what's so uh, difficult. I think sometimes for people to realize is turns out I had stage four cancer and really I felt fine. Mm. And that's, what's so weird is I was asymptomatic and of course at 33 relatively healthy dismissed those signs or symptoms like the night sweats and that's where now through my podcast I want to make people aware of the signs and symptoms of different kinds of cancers so they can be aware if they or a loved one um, exhibits these. So I want to go back. So started winter of 2009. Yeah, yeah. Takes until March to get that diagnosis. What type of lymphoma did you have? Because there is a type of lymphoma that affects very young adults, usually a little younger than 33, but, you know, late teens, young adults. So what type of lymphoma did you have? And what was your response when he told you? And, And did he know if it? It was stage four already. No, he didn't. So what he did is as he felt around my neck or did that exam, he said, I'm going to send you for a scan today. He said his doctor's office or the clinic was right next to a hospital. And he said, I'm actually going to send you for a CT scan. They can work you in this afternoon. I'm going to get a stat read on that and go over and get this scan, then come back to see me. And so, of course, I am in shock because I have these plans to list my home on the market, sell it, move to Nashville. I mean, life is a little bit mapped out, at least for the immediate future. And it just came to a screeching halt when I went over to get an IV and the contrast injected so I could lie there on the table and slide back and forth. and. I went back to see him and um, honestly, what he said, it's kind of a blur for me because your mind just takes off thinking so many different things. And he was saying, best, best case scenario, you have a very bad throat infection. So he said, I'll prescribe the strongest antibiotic I can. We'll see if we can take care of that. But I also want to elevate you to an ENT. He said, I need to set you up with the ear, nose, and throat specialist. And that's when he mentioned worst case scenario, lymphoma. Oh, so it took a little bit of time. Not not a lot, depending on which standards you use, but it took a little bit of time from that initial 
palpitation, him feeling it, the scan, going to the specialist. So who gave you the diagnosis? Yeah. So ultimately, I saw the specialist. Um, he wanted to do an ultrasound needle biopsy. And actually, I have to interject a side story here. Please. I saw a doctor I framed in my book, Dr. Arrogant. <laughs> because yes. this man had no bedside manner. And he, and I'm he sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he, I mean, he's a medical doctor. He's extremely intelligent. He's a specialist, but he had no compassion, caring, empathy for what you're going through. And again, our, our heads are spinning. And so we go see this ENT. My mom was with me and I think she asked him a question again that she must have already asked. And he like had these glasses, you know, slid all the way down at the end of his nose. And he looks at her and I'm not kidding. He says, well, he said, my second answer will be the same as my first. Like, why do I have to repeat myself? Pay attention. And oh my God, my mom and I, you know how you can exchange a knowing glance with someone you love and you know what they're thinking and they know what you're thinking. And we just glanced at each other and thought, absolutely not. Am I going oh, good to? For you. <laughs> so good I for you. think that's a huge tip for your listeners is it's your body. It's your medical care, your diagnosis. You know, I know there can be complexities with insurance, like who's in network, who's out of network, but I try to encourage people to go to whom you want. Um, and we decided right no more Dr. Arrogant. Will you tell people how you went about getting that second opinion? Because I a hundred percent agree. Even if you love your doctor, you should get a second opinion when it comes to cancer. You just should, yeah. if you yeah. can. Yeah, that's actually my number one do at diagnosis is do get a second opinion just to confirm before you go down this path with all this invasive, especially in my case with stage four cancer treatment, that a second medical specialist or oncologist agrees with the diagnosis with the proposed treatment plan, um, I actually ran across a great list on U.S. News and World Report where they rank the top hospitals for cancer treatment uh, so you can find something close to you and also find a doctor, whether that's recommendations uh, from friends and family since everyone knows someone who's gone through cancer. Um, now, thankfully, my mom and I exchanged that knowing glance and knew we wouldn't work with Dr. Arrogant, but <laughs> he did have a nice nurse who did get me set up for an ultrasound needle biopsy where they could just needle into a variety of places in my neck, draw out cells that ultimately confirmed the cancer but then I met with an oncologist uh, who I loved. He recommended I go someplace else to get a second opinion. And he suggested a battery of tests, a PET scan uh, to find out more about the cancer, the type. Uh, turns out I had non 
Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I believe it's Hodgkin's that normally uh, impacts the younger, younger generation or younger people. Yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, so I had non-Hodgkin's and follicular was my particular subtype. Um, but had my PET scan, had a bone marrow aspiration where, of course, they needle in to see is the cancer in the bones? Is it in the marrow? And it was. And so that was one of the things that led to stage four. But I did this did battery of tests. Yes, I've, it does. I've heard <laughs> so, that really hurts, like more than many other tests. That was one of the more physically painful because there's physically and then emotionally painful things that happen to you along the way. But uh, they can numb the skin. But what's challenging is, of course, they'll needle through the skin, but then they have to hit bone and they can't numb the bone. And, oh, that's what, yeah, uh, hurts. <laughs> so, but part of the battery of tests to get an accurate diagnosis. So what you remind yourself in those moments is, hey, this is a short-term thing. I mean, it'll be over with in probably 15 minutes or less. And you have to do it um, to get the accurate diagnosis and know so you can set up a treatment plan. Okay. So you find out your stage four. Bye-bye, Nashville. Yeah. So <laughs> what because I know what the treatment was for both lymphoma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, you know, in the 90s, which was really brutal and, yeah. and not very specific at all. What was the treatment plan for you? Yeah. So as I found out my diagnosis, they proposed six cycles of back then, 12 years ago, what was called RCHOP where rituxan is the primary medicine. And then it's a whole a uh, battery of, I'm trying to even think, Adria Myosin, uh, Vincristine, Cytoxin. I remember uh, they're pushing the one, the red, uh, where it could damage your heart valve or your tissue. That's Adria Myosin. Yeah. 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 If it leaks outside. So I, I point here because I had the port uh, embedded in my upper left chest and uh, gave it a name. It was Porter the Port. And <laughs> That's awesome. So I recognized Porter's birthday the day I got the port. So it's like, hey, when you have this device implanted in you for years and it was part of a multi-year journey of chemotherapy, it's like you have to learn to make friends with this thing. And so I thought I'll just give it a name and, and uh, recognize the anniversary of when I got it. And I'll just add for people, because we, we haven't gone really deep into this, it's not uncommon for someone to get a port. Sometimes it's called yeah. a, a central line. It has a lot of different names, but it, it's high maintenance. It's flushing yeah. the lines every day. It's changing the caps, I think, right. once a week. It's changing the gauze. And then at the end of the day, you have an open, essentially open wound. So very susceptible to right. It's remembering not to hold a small baby. Like one of my friends, you know, they handed me a baby who begins like pounding on your chest. Oh. And I realized I have this thing embedded here and it's like, okay, wait, I'm going to hand back this baby that just 
you know, you're holding it, it's looking at you and it's kind of doing the, on, and you're like, whoa. So, I mean, I really had a heightened sense of protecting it. Um, and of course, yeah, a lot of fear. I think they put it in two days before my first chemo because with stage four cancer, we had to move. Yeah. So it was three weeks to the day of when I found out my diagnosis to when I had my first chemo treatment. So there were medical appointments or procedures practically every day. There was one week where every day I went to see a specialist for a consultation or a surgery. Um, I had to have back-to-back -back surgeries where you're in the hospital one day to have the bulging lymph node taken out to type or get more information about the lymphoma. The next day I'm back to have a kidney stented because there was a bulging lymph node putting pressure on, uh, I think the ureter that, sorry, a little gross, but that helps drain waste from your body um, from like the bladder to the kidneys. Right. And so we had to stent that to be able to keep that open. So waste of course can drain um, from your body, but back-to-back uh, -back surgeries, that was not fun. Of course, that was traumatic. Joy, what were you doing for work at that time? What was your profession? And in addition to that, what kind of health insurance did you have? Mm, great question. I actually had my own business. I was doing training and public speaking. So my undergrad degree is in education. I never ended up teaching in the public school system, but instead would teach adults where they would come to an all-day seminar, or I would speak at an association meeting and present a workshop in the morning or do a keynote speech. So here's the kicker on the insurance or lack thereof. I was uninsured at the time of my diagnosis because I was a, so I thought, healthy 33-year-old non-tobacco user. I mean, none of uh, things that you think may contribute or increase risks for cancer. And of course, back in 2010, this is right as the Affordable Care Act was getting signed into law, Actually, it was signed into law the day before my diagnosis was confirmed. So March 23rd, and then I was diagnosed March 24th. But of course, when I had my own business and it was just me, um, there's no employees to spread the risk around. You don't have right. a pool of people you're insuring. And so my premiums actually would have been quite high. And so I thought, I'm healthy, I'll take the risk. And that was definitely a challenge um, navigating being uninsured. Uh, so of course we had fundraisers. Uh, I set up payment plans, right? Where you can just pay right. a little bit and just whittle it down. So I think that's really important. Don't get overwhelmed when you see those large bills uh, because you can you can whittle it down over time. Yeah. And one of the things I just came back from a health policy conference they were talking about now is even if you have insurance, ask what the cash payment would be as if you did not have insurance, because yeah. now it is often less than having insurance because of the way insurance is structured, because of really high deductibles. Mm. So often now the cash payment is 
cheaper. It doesn't mean it's not crazy expensive, but it's cheaper um, than even having fully what you think is full know, coverage with health insurance. Um, so I really what appreciate you sharing fantastic that. Fantastic tip. That's a great tip for all it's, the listeners. I just remembered you know. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, just, yeah. I was like, I knew I learned something at that conference. That's and the I, joy of having these conversations is it brings things to mind or you think of something as you listen. So tell me how you got from, I think I want to say you said 16, but how many treatments you were supposed to have? How in the world did that go for three years? Tell yeah, us what yeah. happened. So basically, uh, they prescribed six rounds of chemo, the RCHOP, once every three weeks. And so you're absolutely right. Bye-bye, Nashville, devastatingly enough. Um, I still sold my home to get out from under the mortgage and to cut my expenses Smart. because I suspended my business so I could cut my income, reduce expenses, and then go through treatment um, at home. Because like I said, I live in Nebraska and who wants to fly off to Fort Myers, Florida and be keynoting in front of a group of 350 and then be like, you know what? I'm not feeling well. And when you're standing in front of a group of 350, so I'm like, we have to bring, the income will come down, the expenses will come down. But uh, but so actually I was able to get out from under the mortgage and just go to treatment every three weeks, go to all my battery of tests to see if the treatment is working. Um, follow up every day after my chemo, I had to go to the hospital to have a new Lasta shot um, injected to boost my white blood cells after the chemo, after all of this poison uh, is infused into your body to kill cancer cells, but kill any rapidly dividing growing cells. So unfortunately, hair went, uh, and that's where you begin to suffer the side effects of treatment. Uh, but, but did thankfully find out after six cycles of chemo, uh, my cancer was in remission as of September, 2010. So, so 18 achieved, weeks, right? Or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. exactly. So 18 weeks achieved a full remission. And I thought it's over, right? right? Done celebrate the remission and move forward in life. At this point, I'm 34. I'd had a birthday. And my oncologist said, oh, not so fast. He said, you know what? Lymphomas tend to recur, relapse and come back. He said, what we have found for a standard of care or a line of treatment is to continue doing chemotherapy he said, your hair will start to regrow. So good news, I wasn't getting the medicine any longer that had made my hair fall out. But he said, we recommend 12 additional cycles of rituxan only. He said, now instead of every three weeks, we'll do it every eight weeks. So two more years suddenly were added on to my chemotherapy schedule. Um, but good news, it was every eight weeks now instead of every three. So every other month. Uh, but that's where you're right about that port needing to be maintained, where you have to go have that line flushed uh, with saline in between uh, to keep that line clear. What was your response when he told you this? I mean, I, I can't even imagine. 
Right. So as if I haven't already been through how many shocks of my life, um, this diagnosis, finding out you have cancer at 33, then finding out, hey, not only do you have cancer, but it's stage four cancer, then losing all of my hair. Uh, I was completely bald. We can get into that uh, during my treatment. Um, unfortunately, a really... Um, devastating thing happened um, unexpectedly while I was in treatment. My favorite grandparent passed uh, unexpectedly. He hadn't been ill. He was actually killed in a farming accident. Oh. And um, so unfortunately, I had to do um, chemotherapy and his funeral within 48 hours of each other. Um, oh. And you know, I mean, everyone, you just go through days that are so dark. You just hope that, I hope these are the darkest days of my life um, because it's just, yeah, so heartbreaking and so just shattering. Um, but I, I actually, I tried to call and reschedule my chemo and they told me it's literally a matter of your life and death. You have stage four cancer that you stick to this regimen. Um, so I had to do my chemo. Then the next day I got up and went to the hospital for the new Lasta shot. And from there, we drove a couple hours down to Southeast Nebraska um, for the visitation before his service uh, that Saturday, kicking off Memorial Day weekend. And so have the visitation. And they told me, they said, you'll need to be in a wheelchair and have someone push you because sure. you're going to be so depleted after this infusion of all of this chemo medicine. Uh, so they said, you'll have to have someone push you. Um, and I was like, no, I will not. <laughs> you know, I was being stubborn as a 33 year old. I'm going to be up and, and visiting with people. Of course, an outpouring showed up to comfort and, and support, but was wearing a wig to his funeral because I'd lost all my hair at that point. Um, in fact, remember sitting there before the service started in the church pews, and I felt very nauseated, very. And I thought, sure. I don't know if this is the chemo or the stress and the just heart heart shattering. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, but I had some medicine to help with the nausea. And I remember sitting there and I was popping those because <laughs> oh, I thought, do you get up and go to the restaurant? You know, like, are you going to be ill? Cause I had that feeling. And then it's sure. like, how much worse can it get? And it's like, okay, universe, I'm not asking. I'm just saying, you know, don't throw me anything else at <laughs> this point. <laughs> yeah. You can't ask those kind of questions because right. the universe will respond. Right. I will, the I will universe tell you. Has has a way of answering, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but you know, just to show people when I say, Hey, you can face cancer with joy. Um, and they're like, are you kidding me? And so I have to explain, well, there's a double meaning there because my name is joy and you can face cancer with me here is your guide to guide you through, but also figuratively, even in spite of the lowest, um, the lowest lows that you think you could imagine, you know, you're confronting your own eventual mortality suddenly, and then you're faced with the sudden death of a, a loved one. Um, but you was can that, still find moments. Is that your worst moment and all of it? Yeah. <laughs> it was. Okay. It sounded, it sounded like it. Yeah. What was your best moment? 
Oh, great question. So yeah, definitely um, finding out who your friends are, um, the <laughs> outpouring of, of love and support. I mean, you find out the people that say, well, let me know if you need anything, but they're just throwing that out as a cliche. And then you find out the people who are really there for you and they don't just send a get well soon card thinking of you. You know, I think some people did that and then they checked it off their list. They're like, ah, Joy has cancer. Yeah, I sent a card, you know, it's like, I'll follow this on Facebook or on her Caring Bridge site and just kind of snoop and lurk and see what's happening, <laughs> you know, but just, it's always good to know who's really going to be there for you and support you. And so that was a, a great thing to find out. Um, I'll give you an example. When I lost all my hair, uh, that, of course, was really devastating when you're just 33 and a single lady. And so we actually came up with a really unique or creative response to that where I got a bunch of wigs from either borrowing from your local cancer society or I ordered some online. And I just decided you know, this is the time to try to make this fun because it's not what happens to you. It is how you choose to respond to it. And it's like, my hair is gone. I mean, I could draw the shades and throw the blanket over my head and just throw a pity party and sit and poor me. And you do do that at times, but I give myself a deadline to wallow. It's like, do you really want to spend <laughs> yes, your I life like or, or spend right. your time? I mean, especially with stage four cancer, it's like, do you want to spend your time this way? Or do you want to be out there living, doing some bucket list things? But so we got the idea, you know, if you change your hair and you don't like it, you have to live with it for a while. Like it's hard to change. Like, you know, I've, I've cut my hair really short before and thought, eh, I don't care for this. Well, then I'm kind of stuck with it until it regrows. <laughs> and when I lost my hair, I thought it will probably never be easier to change my look as a woman. So I gathered wigs that were long hair, super short hair, different colors, uh, not quite as beautiful as your color of hair, which is just stunning. Uh, but I had, I called it my saucy redhead look because I had a, <laughs> I had a look. <laughs> and I'll tell you what I did is I took, or my mom took pictures of me modeling all these different wigs and we uploaded them to Facebook in 2010, this new emerging social media. And I held an online fashion show. And it was, when you say the funnest moment, that's one thing that comes to mind because <laughs> it was so fun. And I just told my friends, I said, hey, this is kind of awkward because I'm 33, but all my hair is gone. It was falling out. We went and had my head shaved. Sure. And I said, I'm trying to find some new looks for the summer. And I said, hey, everyone, I want you to vote and weigh in on your favorite looks for me now that I'm bald. And it was just such a fun way to gather support and encouragement from so many friends and really around the globe with friends with military service, uh, but they could weigh in and tell me what they, what they loved. Um, and it was just so much better than my friends going, oh, this is awkward. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'll give you something to weigh in on here. Um, so that was 
that's a great example of how you respond, you know, to something traumatic. You can choose that response. So I want to go back when you said you find out who your friends are. Mm. Was there anyone who surprised you either because they were there for you, and perhaps they weren't one of your closer friends, or they were one of your really close friends and they were not there for you? Yeah, definitely. And I would say in both ways. So of course, without naming names, uh, but you do, there's people that you think oh, I know them as an acquaintance or distantly, and then they step up for you in a big way, and you're really pleasantly surprised. Um, and then, yeah, there's people that you think, oh, this person is really close. They're in my network of friends. Uh, and then they just disappear. aren't there. They, they kind of disappear. So yeah, it's good to surround yourself with a variety of people. That way, in case you're not relying on one person uh, for rides to appointments or if they just decide to disappear on you and not be there to support you through it. Um, and, and you have to realize it's hard for people. I mean, people have different reactions when they hear the word cancer. They're automatically going to associate it with any prior knowledge or experience they have. Um, I mean, there were awkward things that people would say to me, and sometimes I just had to dismiss them like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you just, I mean, you know, it's like people will tell you about someone they know who died of cancer and you're like, thanks for yeah. telling me that in this moment when I'm terrified and they're going, oh my gosh, you have cancer. My aunt died of cancer. <laughs> like, <laughs> can you just think before you speak? Like, So what is the one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey? Oh, great question. I would say the reminder that good will come from this. Because when you're 33 and you're embarking on a very sudden, very unexpected uh, diagnosis, you're so young, you just think, oh my gosh, this is going to be devastating and awful. And But then just the reminder when bad things happen, good has a way of coming from it. So it's still hard. It's still painful, but almost look for the rainbow, look for the silver lining, uh, look for the signs that will come um, because they'll, they'll be there. They'll be part of the journey. It's, it's like, it won't all be bad. And if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U S what would it be and why? Yeah, I think I'd like to expand the Affordable Care Act, take it further. But we still talk about even with insurance, now there's high deductible health plans and people still get these large medical bills. Uh, one thing I've, I've noticed in the recent years is even when you have cancer scares or when you have screenings and those escalate. Um, when I had my first mammogram at 40, they called me right back. And then they kept calling me back and calling me back. So they did the uh, ultrasound or the MRI. Uh, they had to do a needle biopsy in several places. And it all turned out okay. They said, you just have dense breast tissue, which I think a lot of women have. And they said, we have nothing to compare it to. This is your first, your baseline mammogram at 40 with your cancer history. We wanted to be sure. But then of course, even with insurance, I got this whopper of a medical bill and it's like, well, this is crazy that I'm now making payments for the next 
18 months or or whatever on this screening care when everything turned out okay. So I still think there's a tremendous opportunity. Uh, I was listening to the show and you had a recent guest on who was from Canada and she talked about going in and walking out, uh, not getting a bill, you know, or just like she would go somewhere and breeze out. And so many times still in the United States, we have to think before going and seeking care, how much is this going to cost? What is this going to mean for my family. So that's where I say there's still a lot of opportunities to take the Affordable Care Act further. Uh, but I'm really grateful that insurance companies can no longer deny you coverage for having a pre-existing condition or being a woman. I think they considered a woman a pre-existing condition. So we, we've made strides. We have. Joy, are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire questions? Sure, let's go for it. Beach, desert, or mountains? Ooh, beach, I'd have to say. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Um, Probably the Beatles, I think. Paul McCartney. And what is one word that best describes you? definitely joyful. A lot of friends tell me that. They're like, you're so appropriately named. And I'm like, thank goodness my parents didn't name me disappointment. And then people <laughs> are saying, wow, you really live up to your name. You're just a big old disappointment. So joyful or energetic. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Hmm. Well, I mentioned I've taken some attempts at co-writing. And so I would love to hear one of mine. I co-wrote a song that I play at the start of my podcast called Live Before I Die. And it's about living and really thriving in life, not just barely surviving. It'd be fun to hear that. Or another song I co-wrote called Bright Side Effects. Looking on the bright side of the side effects of cancer treatment, like when I lost all my hair and it wasn't growing back, well, guess what? It wasn't growing on my legs either. So I found <laughs> I suddenly had perpetually smooth legs and I didn't have to shave, which was awesome. <laughs> so bright side effect. What about the last meal you want to eat? Ooh, can I have a buffet? That way I could have a sampling of so many favorite foods. You would want to have seafood or salmon and salad. You'd have your vegetables, but you'd have some naughty desserts too. Maybe fruits in a smoothie, blend it all up, and that would be a great capstone meal. What about the last person or people you want to see? Oh, wow. Great question. I would say my family, of course, the people that have been there since the beginning. So my mom, if possible, my sister. Uh, my sister has one son who's so precious to me. I have one only nephew. It'd be great if he could be there. Maybe he'll be married with kids at that time. So family. And the last words you will speak. I definitely say, I got to sound a little cliche here, but the song, I did it my way because that's what I have done. So I did it my way, uh, no regrets. 
is how I aim to live. So when I do get to the end, whether I can speak that or even if I can't speak, I can be thinking no regrets. And aside from Cancer U, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And please tell people how they can get in touch with you. Oh, I would definitely recommend the Dose of Joy podcast. And that is my show. That is the podcast that I host. Each month, I focus on the cancers. It's the Awareness Month 4. So last October, when I launched the show, I focused on breast cancer. This month in April, I'm focusing on things like esophageal cancer. Last month, colon cancer. But I really aim to guide people facing cancer those specific ones, but all cancers, I've got shows for those too, where they can get those do's and don'ts at diagnosis. Because my number one don't is don't Google. We ask Siri, Alexa, and Google, and we think there's so much information out there that will automatically be returned. But then people start clicking on things without considering the source of the information. And so I really like to serve as that guide to cancer who's been there through the podcast. And I'm not sharing the medical doctor, the oncologist perspective, but rather the positive patient perspective. My master's degree is actually in health communication uh, from Boston University. So I really try to pinpoint those specific resources that people do not know about. And frankly, they don't have the time when cancer enters their life for the mental energy to find. Uh, so I definitely recommend people check out the Dose of Joy podcast to get a dose of me, quite literally, as well as figuratively, to complement your treatment. Uh, you can get in touch with me through the podcast. I share my email. It's doseofjoypodcast at hotmail.com. I've also got a Facebook page, the Dose of Joy podcast, and you can like that and, of course, message me uh, through Facebook as well. So look forward to connecting and helping others, not just get through when they hear that diagnosis, but really thrive. You too can face cancer with joy. Joy, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor to meet you uh, with all of your important work in the cancer world. So it's a thrill to be on today. And uh, I look forward to keeping in touch and doing more things together to help serve this community. It's a world no one wants to be a part of, but too many of us find ourselves involuntarily immersed in this world as a caregiver, as a patient. And I'm so thankful that there are people like you out there shining a bright light of hope uh, to help lead the way when they are facing this. So thanks for having me on. Truly a pleasure. Mine as well. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, 
Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.